You're now Under Pressure. Under Pressure is a brief recurring podcast for busy clinicians, investigators, and trainees devoted to state-of-the-art prevention and control of blood pressure. We provide quick, lively, and accurate updates and reviews on important issues in hypertension diagnosis, management, and prognosis from our multidisciplinary team of experts. Our hosts this week are Jennifer Cluett, Clinical Director of the BIDMC Hypertension Center at Healthcare Associates and Certified Hypertension Specialist, Luthalma Turkson-Okran, a faculty member in the Hypertension Center, and Rosie Fairman, future primary care chief resident at BIDMC. Welcome to all of you. Thank you, Ken. It's great to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. Excited to be here. We have a great topic this week, the classic HIVET trial, going back to the past to look at this classic trial, what it meant, what it actually did, and some of the implications that came out of it going forward. Rosie, let's start with you. So what was the primary research question that the HIVET investigators were trying to answer? So HIVET stands for the Hypertension in the Very Elderly Trial. So prior to HIVET, the results of non-randomized control studies suggested that antihypertensive therapy in the elderly may reduce the risk of stroke but increase the risk of death. So HIVET was designed as a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study in patients aged 80 years and older that aimed to clarify this. The primary endpoint that they were looking at was fatal or non-fatal stroke, and then secondary endpoints included death from any cause, death from cardiovascular causes, death from cardiac causes, and death from stroke. So to re-summarize that, this was a, an RCT particularly focused on individuals aged 80 and older with hypertension. So tell us who was enrolled in the study. So in this study, there were 195 centers included in 13 countries across Western and Eastern Europe, China, North Africa, and Australasia. All patients were aged 80 years or older and had sustained systolic blood pressure of 160 or more while off all antihypertensives. There were several exclusion criteria, including chronic kidney disease, the diagnosis of clinical dementia, a requirement of nursing care, among many others. And it ended up including around 4,700 individuals with a mean age of around 84 years old. And most of the patients ended up being from Eastern Europe or China. That's a really important point, Rosie. Although the population eventually included individuals from this huge number of centers and a huge number of countries, uh, nearly all of them, I, I believe, were from Eastern Europe and China which may have a particular import for considering what the primary outcome was, uh, in this case, stroke, which is uh, a particularly high incidence in those, in those regions. Sure. So tell us about the intervention. What were the two intervention arms that were being tested? So patients in the active treatment arm received endapamide at escalating doses, and then if needed, the ACE inhibitor perindopril to achieve a target blood pressure of less than 150 over 80. And patients in the control arm received matching placebos. Uh, Jen, let me uh, just briefly detour to you. Um, so this was a, a comparison of, of a hydrochlorothiazide-like diuretic and an ACE inhibitor compared to placebo. How does that treatment compare to what we would be using today for a population like that? In this case, adults you know, in their uh, low to mid-80s. Thanks, Ken. You know, these are at least the classes of medicines that we would certainly recommend today, a thiazide-like diuretic and an ACE inhibitor. What's interesting is that this study was explicitly funded by the manufacturer of perindopril and endapamide, and whether or not that has any impact on how we interpret these results is, I think, an interesting 
question, but adapamide is certainly one of my favorite thiazide like diuretics for particularly for elderly folks, given the lower frequency of electrolyte abnormalities that we see with it. Thanks for that, Jen. Uh, so, Rosie, what was the primary finding of HiVet? So, similar to the SPRINT trial, the HiVet trial was stopped early after two years. Um, this was because the researchers saw a 21% reduction in all-cause mortality in the active treatment arm at that point. And so, with a medium follow-up of 1.8 years, there was a 30% reduction as well in fatal or non-fatal stroke in the active treatment group, though this wasn't statistically significant with a p-value of 0.06. And then the other notable finding that I thought was interesting was there was a 64% reduction in the rate of heart failure with a p-value of less than 0.0001. So, that's a very impressive set of findings in literally under two years, there's a 20% reduction in all-cause mortality. There's not quite a statistically significant reduction in stroke, but of course, follow-up was much shorter than had been originally anticipated. So even the fact that it was almost significant is, I think, impressive. And then there's dramatic decrease in heart failure as well. My recollection, Rosie, was that the benefit, at least as observed in the Kaplan-Meier plots, occurs very quickly, um, certainly within the first several months. Is that right? Yes, I would agree with you. Looking at the Kaplan-Meier curves, you don't have to be in the trial very long to see a benefit in terms of death from any cause, stroke, or heart failure. So now that we've seen what the potential benefits here are of, for lack of a better word, intensive hypertension treatment, in this case, going down to less than 150 over 80 when blood pressure was 160 or or more to start. Um, What about the flip side of that? So the adverse events. So interestingly, there were fewer serious adverse events reported in the active treatment group versus the placebo group, and this was actually to a statistically significant extent. Unfortunately, the trial doesn't comment on the types and frequency of the different types of adverse events experienced by the participants. They only say that three in the placebo group and two in the active treatment group of hundreds reported were classified by the local investigator as possibly having been due to the trial medication. Um, And so I would say this is one of the weaknesses of the study, is that we don't have a better understanding of what adverse events were seen. Ruth Alma, let me turn this to you. As Rosie noted, it seems like a weakness of, of HiVet is, is the granularity of the adverse events that we have. What, what were some that you might have been looking to, to get more information about? So I would have wanted to hear things if it, like falls, um, uh, things related to frailty that could be associated with maybe overtreatment um, for high blood pressure or uh, something like that. I do know that they did um, later on do a, a trial looking at fractures, um, but of course that was, um, I guess, a you know, a post hoc analysis. But I just really would have loved to see some more things related to falls, high, you know, um, orthostatic hypertension, for example. And so I thought that was something that could have maybe even in a supplemental um, type thing that readers would have loved to know um, because of the age of the participants. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that there weren't more AKIs in the Mm -hmm. active treatment group, and yet only two or three adverse events were attributed to the drug in the active treatment group, which is interesting. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I'm struck both by the relative lack of information we get there, but also, you know, if I can be honest, the dramatic reduction in all-cause mortality. I don't know how many falls would have had to have occurred to 
make up for that. But it's pretty impressive that even in a less than two year duration of treatment, they were able to reduce all causes of death by over 20%. This was a pretty dramatic result. Rosie, along those lines, what would you view now as the strengths? We've discussed, you know, obviously the some of the problems with the adverse event reporting, but what were some of the strengths to you of this now kind of classic trial? So I think one of the strengths is obviously that this trial is that it was a very large um, randomized control trial. It was double-blinded and placebo-controlled. And the medications that were used in this study, including um, endapamide and perindopril, uh, reflect modern therapy. So even this was, though this was done in the early 2000s, these endapamide is a medication we still use today, and um, perindopril is similar to most of the ACE inhibitors and ARBs that we use in practice today as well. And then to balance that, what would you view now as, as the limitations as we try to in- interpret the results of this, uh, of this study? So as we discussed with the SPRINT trial, I think one of the major limitations of this study is that it was stopped early. And this, of course, tends to happen when the effect size is at its highest. So it's unclear if as time goes on, the mortality benefit would have persisted or diminished. I think also, as you mentioned earlier, Ken, most of the patients in this study were from Eastern Europe or China. And these populations are thought to have a higher risk of stroke than when you compare to like the Western European population. And so that may limit the generalizability of the findings. And then other people have commented that the inclusion criteria, while understandable for a randomized control trial, required patients to be in relatively good physical and mental health. And so um, this calls into question how much we can apply the findings to some of our more frail elderly patients, I should say. Rosie, why don't we touch on that last point just a little bit more. Although the results weren't presented in the initial report from HiVet, uh, which we'll link to in the show notes, there was a secondary analysis performed later on that attempted to uh, stratify the HiVet population um, by its baseline degree of frailty using a frailty index. And, you know, we're try- trying to get at this question about how well the results might apply to people who are more or less frail. What were the, uh, the results of that secondary analysis? So the secondary analysis showed that although those that were more frail had higher rates of heart disease and death, these rates were similarly lowered by tighter blood pressure control. So they saw the same benefit as the less frail patients. So taking all of this information now together, Rosie, what were the, the sort of changes to practice that occurred at the time and, and that you know, we'll discuss next? sort of what they brought us to the future. At the time when the HIVIT trial came out, I think this study should have emboldened clinicians to treat hypertension in elderly patients, at least to a goal of systolic less than 150. Um, And then with future research, including SPRINT, this actually moved the dial down even lower to below 130. So Jen, let me um, uh, build on that point. So HIVIT basically takes us from, it's not clear we should treat older adults at all to we should at least get their blood pressure below 150. There was uh, explicit work done in SPRINT a priori to try to understand um, what to do with the, the same population, folks 80 and older, and specifically whether or not we should move that needle down further, as, as Rosie notes. So what did the SPRINT analysis show to sort of follow up on this? It's a great question. Uh, they actually took a subgroup of the sprint participants that were over 75. Uh, so a slightly 
slightly younger age group. Um, and notably, these are now U.S. and Puerto Rican study sites. So we're adding a different population. And they found sim- they found very similar findings to HiVet driving with a goal blood pressure, like Rosie mentioned, under 130. In fact, in that sprint senior group, they were able to achieve a systolic, a mean systolic blood pressure of 123, uh, with a goal, of course, being under 130 for the intensive treatment group for sprint. And they found very similar findings to HiVet uh, in the sense that really that sprint cohort reinforced and extended the HiVet conclusions with a, an even lower target systolic blood pressure. You know, Jen, it's interesting that it, not only were they able to sort of replicate these results of HiVet, but that the all-cause mortality drop was, if anything, even a little bit stronger than what was observed in HiVet with 33% lower all-cause mortality with what uh, was ultimately about a, a little bit more than 10 millimeter difference between the two groups. So really continues to drive down the gold blood pressure, even for this group of individuals in their 80s. Exactly. And to speak to some of the point that both Ruth Alma and Rosie were discussing earlier about the adverse events, and they were much more granular in the Sprint Senior Cohort in terms of the adverse events. And really, again, those mirrored the adverse events in the larger Sprint trial, but looked at injurious falls, electrolyte abnormalities, and more specific adverse events. And although none of those serious adverse events were statistically more significant in either group, there may have been some suggestion that they were more common, although they did not reach statistical significance. To wrap up, let's recap our key hypertension highlights for this episode. Rosie, what should we take away from the HIVET trial? So this was a randomized controlled trial of almost 5,000 adults over the age of 80 that use modern therapies to reduce blood pressure to a goal of less than 150 over 80 in the active treatment arm. It had to be stopped early due to mortality benefits in the active treatment arm, such that the rate of death in that arm was 21% lower in terms of all-cause mortality than in the placebo group. And so what this tells me is that in my practice going forward, um, in elderly patients, I should not be de-escalating therapy if they're not having any side effects from treatment um, and should even think about intensifying hypertension therapy if they're above goal. Jen, uh, Ruth Alma, um, anything you'd like to add to that? I think this paper, combined with a later publication of that Sprint senior cohort, has, in my mind, uh, eliminated age as a factor and when I'm determining how low to get someone's blood pressure. And so the the combination of these two together, more so I think the Sprint Senior uh, that came after this or that HiVet laid the foundation uh, for this really changed. If you recall, there was based on JNC8, a recommendation that we would treat patients above a certain age to a different threshold. And I think HiVet laid the groundwork for Sprint and Sprint Senior to come along later to have us think about our patients differently in terms of their blood pressure goals and to not use age or maybe even frailty status for community-dwelling adults, at least, as something that allows us to change a blood pressure threshold. Right. I think, um, Jen, uh, you just summed it up very eloquently in that, you know, just not looking at age um, alone to determine uh, blood pressure targets in, in persons who are elderly. So thanks once again for outstanding editing by Claire Morgan at Notterly, to Ginny Yoon for production assistance on this and other episodes, and a reminder that CME credit is available uh, for listening to this episode through VCU Health. 
Thanks for listening to another edition of Under Pressure, the brief recurring podcast devoted to state-of-the-art prevention and control of blood pressure. For Jennifer Cluett, Ruth Alma Turkson-Okran, and Rosie Fairman, I'm Ken Mukamal, and you've been Under Pressure. 